Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Jesus, we are glad that we have acknowledged that you are the king, that with our mouths we have confessed the Lord Jesus Christ. We have bowed our knee to you and your kingdom. And I pray right now for the friends that we have, the family that we have, the neighbors who live next to us, the coworkers who are in cubicles and across the table from us that have yet to bow the knee and confess you as Lord. I pray that today, this week and this month, that our good works, that our saltiness, that the way that we bring glory to you would be causing them to desire to become one of your kids as well, that you'd be using us to evangelize a lost culture a culture that is getting more mixed up and less truthful and more squishy than ever before. May our solid, firmly founded faith in you be infectious. So speak. May we be being transformed even this morning we ask. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Anyone here hear of a guy by the name of Steve Jobs? Ever heard of him? Right? So if you have a smartphone, you either love him or you hate him because he invented it, right? He's a big deal. I read his autobiography a couple of years ago. And if you don't know, he had pancreatic cancer and then had a liver failure and a liver transplant. He had some major health issues. And you can track his health problems by looking at Apple stock. Remember that? Perhaps you remember this. Bloomberg in 2008 put out his obituary years before he actually died. And that day that the obituary came out in Bloomberg News, Apple lost like a trillion dollars. Now, why would people who spent their lives and have gone to school and have MBAs and invest billions of dollars, why would they respond so heavily, so financially to the health of Steve Jobs? Because leaders matter, right? They knew that. The leader of Apple really matters. If he goes down, Apple's probably gonna go down. Leaders matter. In football, if there's one position you could take out that will change the game, who's the position that you'd want to take out? The water boy? We could just get him, man. They were thirsty. We're good. No, it's the quarterback, right? In a business, if there's one person that you'd want to take out, who is it? CEO. In a country, if there's one person you want to take out, who is it? It's the president, right? In a war with another army, if there's one person you could take out, who would it be? The general because leaders 
matter. So we are in the book of Nehemiah. We've been looking at the city of Jerusalem that before Nehemiah for 141 years, the wall had been broken down. The gates had been burned. The people were in distress. The people were struggling. So there was generation after generation. Just rewind the clock of America 141 years. 1880s. Imagine that. How many generations now have grown up and all they've known is broken walls and burned gates, desperation, slavery, crime, families being torn apart. Imagine that. And then one day, Nehemiah, this leader, says, no more. No more. And he leads the rebuilding of the wall and the repair of the city and the renewing of the people. So guess who's gonna get whacked? Nehemiah. Up until chapter six, what we've seen is this generalized attack by the enemies of Israel, the Sambalats and the Tobias and these guys, just this kind of generalized attack of, hey, let's get the people. Anyone who's building the wall, let's get them. In chapter six, the attack changes. Now it's personal. Now it's get Nehemiah. So you could title chapter six as strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Eliminate the leader. Or what to do when you get whacked. That's my favorite one. What to do when you get whacked. Because all of us lead at some level as a believer. People are looking at our lives. They're looking at us. So what to do when you get whacked. And I don't think the enemy has changed his tactics much. The same tactics that he goes after, Nehemiah, we're gonna find in our lives as well, that people will attack us in these same ways. So let's jump in. Nehemiah chapter six, verse one. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time, I had not set up the doors in the gates. Sambalot and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of, oh no. <laughs> so good. but they intended to do me harm. And I sent a messenger to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this manner. And I answered them in the same way. I call this diversion, distraction. It's a technique of the enemy. They're trying to divert and distract Nehemiah from the great work that he was doing. So here's what they're doing. They're saying, Nehemiah, buddy, bro, you've got us all wrong. We just want to talk out this misunderstanding. Come, let's hug together. So these two enemies say, let's meet in the valley of 
Oh no. And what does Nehemiah say? Oh no. Oh no. Right? They knew it was a trick. He knew it was a trick, rather. So the place that they want to meet is 27 miles away from Jerusalem. It's at least a day and a half journey, and it's in their territory. It's in enemy territory. Like, that smells fishy. It'd be like Vladimir Putin saying to America, it's been a giant misunderstanding in the Ukraine. You've got us all wrong. Let's meet. Let's talk this thing out. Hey, let's meet in, let's say, Siberia. Uh, no thanks, right? It's crazy. And they do it, not once, four times. Let's meet. No. Let's meet. No. Let's meet. No. Let's meet. No. What's the end game to this kind of attack? It's they can play the victim. We tried to meet with Nehemiah. We wanted to work this out. Our heart was to make peace with Nehemiah. We really want to try as hard as we could to meet with Nehemiah, but four times he told us no. That's the end game, is it not? Nehemiah says, I'm not playing that game. There's a time you say, yeah, I'm not playing that game. So there's a group in Grant's past, perhaps you've seen them. Um, They like to print out really graphic pictures of abortion, and then show, they're the PG-13 or worse, show them where little kids can see them, and they, they just kind of have that. They got blow horns. They're really loud. They're, they're just kind of obnoxious, and what they want is they all wear cameras. What they want is they want to record an interaction that is kind of up. They want to get you mad so that you have this interaction, so then they can post it to their YouTube channels or whatever it is, and then they get like 10 people to be like, that was awesome. Look how you made that person really mad. Hmm, for Jesus. You made him mad for Jesus. Hmm, that sounds crazy to me. All right? So it's like 12-year-olds. So the leader of this group, a number of years ago, said, hey, I want to meet with you guys. I want to meet with Edgewater, and I want to meet with you, and we need to talk about this and how you're not involved and all this kind of stuff. So I, I said, okay, I'll meet with you. So after Wednesday, I said, I'll meet you with you Wednesday night after service, 7.30, right back there. And I met with the guy. And he begins his spiel and says everything and all this kind of stuff. And I said, listen, I 100% agree with your message. Life matters to God. From conception, Psalm 139. When I was in my mother's womb, God knew all my members. He knew my DNA until final breath. That's appointed once for man to die and after that judgment. 100%, man, 100%. But I could not disagree more with your methods. Because he was trying to kind of, we got numbers here and sometimes people want to use those numbers. So then he started this bully thing with me. Well, if you don't, man, look out. I said, try me. This is not my first rodeo, bro try me. So guess what? About a week later, they showed up right out here. They had their signs and their craziness, trying to get everybody kind of riled up. They come at one, two, three times. They've done that, right? They've done their whole thing. And then they had their kind of dogs attack on social media, where a couple of them, there's like two of them, just every time there was an Edgewater anything, video, post, anything of me, it was like, they would immediately like comment on how terrible of a person I am. So ah, I could care less about that. Comment all you want on social media, right? So that's the thing. Well, my wife and my family, we love to go to growers market. Like, it's just fun. Great Saturday thing to do. Go there, see a bunch of you guys, get some good food to eat, get some good salad. You know, just, it's a fun time. Well, they're there sometimes. And you can ask my wife, if I show up and they are there, it's like a really beautiful woman going to a construction site, right? That's what it feels like. I'm like, oh, golly. So I just try to like, all right, whatever, and walk through. Well, this one day, I go there. 
And it's a great day, beautiful. Like, I'm just loving life. Walk kind of in, you know, walk in by the tracks, go do the circuit. I come out by the corner, and I didn't know it, they were there. So they see me, and the attack is on. And there's all kind of these people that kind of turn around, they're starting to hear them, because they're not quiet, right? They like to be loud. And so I just kind of got my head down, and then I just had it. I said, hey, hey, you guys, listen. I said, keep spreading the hate. And you could hear a pin drop. And then one of them said, we're not spreading hate. I said, yes, you are. Listen to that, right? Well, I get home, and there is immediately an email from the leader saying, listen, what you did at the doors market, I don't like it. You and me got to meet. You know what I said to him? Oh, no. (laughs) You know why? It's a distraction. There's a great work happening in Edgewater, and I'm not going to be distracted, and I'm not going to waste time with those things. Yeah, 100%. There's a time you just say, nope. Oh, no. Not meeting with you. There's way too much good things happening right here with the pastors, with praise, right? With baptisms that happen every Sunday, with game changers last Sunday, right? Where there was a call to men and there was a response where men said, I am rededicating my life to Jesus Christ to live for his kingdom. And then they marched right out here and got baptized. That's a good work. I will not be distracted from that good work, okay? There's good works right now with Rogue Christian Academy and what God's gonna do with that. There's good works happening in our kids' wing every Sunday. Our kids' wing is like nothing else for 100 miles. You could draw a circle around Grant's Pass and go for 100 miles, and what's happening right there is brilliant. It's beyond belief. We had 600 kids here on Easter who got to hear about Jesus Christ as their risen Lord and Savior. Man, that's a good work. I will not be distracted. The widow's ministry here is unbelievable. The care that is given by a bunch of men who said, we'll chop wood for them. We'll clean out gutters for them. We'll repair roofs for them. We're just gonna do good work for our widows right here. We will not be distracted. Carmen Sardon, where we're taking care of those that the world would just forget about. And they are loved so well. I'm just amazed at how loved a bunch of orphans are down in this little podunk place of Carmen Serdan, brilliantly loved for Jesus Christ. That we get to use that space to help disciple young men and young women to come back and to build the kingdom. I won't be distracted from those things. All the stuff that you guys do. The people that greet out here. I love the greeters out front. Big smile on their face. Love Jesus. I love to see them praying for people as they come in because they see something and spot it. That is a good work that we will not be distracted from. Love the coffee crew. Keep you guys awake, man. Praise God for them. That is a good work. (laughs) Right? I go on and on and on. There's a time that you just say, "Uh uh-uh, no, not meeting with you because there's a good work and you are a distraction to And here's a warning for those of us that have been Christians for a while. The men and women in here have been running laps. We're running laps. And maybe now you can start seeing your finish line. Because Nehemiah could see his finish line, right? He's like, the wall's complete. We just got to hang the doors. Like they're close. They're closing in on the end goal. Here's what I think happens. I think when you first believe in Jesus, there's going to be an attack on you. It's Matthew 13, that seed gets scattered into your soul. And Satan comes and he looks, can I snatch that away? 
Can I get the sun so hot on him that it withers? Can I make the cares of the world crawl up that it chokes it out? There's an immediate attack when you first believe in Jesus Christ. Just like when Jesus got baptized, Matthew chapter three, Matthew chapter four, Satan attacks him. It's early. Then I think when you can see the finish line, when you've run for a long time, you start seeing that finish line coming, I think there's a second redoubled attack, right? Jesus is attacked at the end of his ministry with the cross. And I think the, the last attack after we're kind of, we've run for a while, when we see that finish line, I think the final attack is harder. You know why? Because we're just tired. We're just tired. We've been doing this a long time. We're tired. We gotta be careful. Moses failed after 120 years of life. That's when he failed. David, after he did all these brilliant things, it's at the end of his life that he failed with a woman named Bathsheba. Right, Hillsong, national, international brand, massive. Right, Brian Houston, two weeks ago, driving while under the influence. Bro, are you kidding? Because he didn't see the finish line. James McDonald's, one of the biggest ministries in America about five years ago, right? Man, what an attack that guy. Got busted down in San Diego, Coronado Beach for assaulting a 59-year-old woman. Like, what's going on? And it's a warning to me. Be careful, Matt. Be careful. When you think you can see the finish line, be careful. That's when the enemy's coming at you as hard as he can. Be careful. It's redoubling. And here's how I think you be careful. You just don't talk to your enemy. I think the enemy wants to engage us in conversation, to distract us, to bring doubt in our minds, to start getting us off track. He wants to engage us, right? Eve is talking to the serpent at the tree. You know what she should have said? Oh no, and left. That's what she should have done. There are times you say, oh no, I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to that. You are a distraction to me. I'm not listening anymore. I am out of here. I have a great work to do as a husband, as a dad, as a mom, as a wife, as a grandpa, as a grandma, as a volunteer at the Pregnancy Care Center, at the Gospel Rescue Mission, wherever it is, as a neighbor, as a business owner, I have a great work that God has to do to me, do through me, and I will stay focused on it. Oh, no, I'm not listening to you. That's what you say. Don't engage the enemy. That's a distraction. I'm out of here. That's number one. He tries to distract us. Number two, he slanders us. Picking it up, verse five. In the same way, Sambalat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter. In his hand, in it was written, it is reported among the nations. How anonymous is that source? And Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, the anonymous reports from the nations, they said that you wish to become their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem that there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. What a bully technique is that? Then I sent to him saying, no such thing as you say have been done 
No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. But they were all wanting to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. He sends an open letter. Normally, a high-ranking official, if he sent a letter to another high-ranking official, they would do this. They would write the letter. They would roll it up. They'd take a drop of wax. They'd drop it on that seam where the letter kind of closed. And then they had this signet ring that was specific to them. And they would push that signet ring into that wax to show, I sealed this letter. It's between you and me. And they would know if somebody had read it because that wax seal would be cracked. You would do that to keep it between you. That's not what this letter is. It's an open letter, which means anybody can read it and everybody would read it. Every messenger would be like, whoa, oh, wow, right? It was posted on Instagram. It was posted on Facebook. It was put out on CNN, right? They're taking interviews like, this is what's happening there. Why? Because they want to get Nehemiah in trouble. Fake news is not new. It's been happening for thousands and thousands of years. And here's what they knew. King Artaxerxes was a bad dude. History tells us the way he became the king was he killed his older brother to get the throne. And he was so ruthless to the people of Babylon that he couldn't rule from Babylon because it was too dangerous for him to be there. He actually had to live in Susan, where we see in chapter two, he's in Susan because people want to kill him in Babylon because he was so ruthless. That's why Nehemiah was so important to him. He was the wine taster. Someone's going to poison him. Nehemiah was his protection, right? Ruthless. And if he thought for a moment that Nehemiah was leading a rebellion, mutiny, sedition, he would have not a second of a hindrance to coming and killing Nehemiah, that this is dangerous. Slander is dangerous. Here's what slander is. It's repeating unhelpful, questionable information. That's slander. Like you're not sure. Well, they say, well, who's they? Well, the nations. Who's the nations? Give me a dude to talk to, right? It's this kind of ambiguous, questionable information. That's what slander is. And here's why it's so bad. I'll give you four reasons. Reason number one, it's bad because it's tasty. Proverbs 18 verse 8 says this, gossip and slander are like a tasty morsel. Slander's like ice cream. Tastes really, really good. You love it on Sunday night, but Monday morning, when you're feeling a little pudgy, not so fun, right? It's yummy. Tasty. I'll tell you, guilty as charged. So people come to this church, the new people come in all the time, and they come for whatever reason, the view or the building or kids ministry or mission or vision or the view or the building, the view or the, right? So they're coming for whatever reason. And every once in a while, I get to talk to one of them and we'll be talking and out of those many, one or two will say, well, you know, we're at this other church. And I'm like, tell me more. Well, you know, this is happening at this other church and the pastor was saying this. And on that side, I'm like, that is just terrible. From the inside, I'm like, yummy. <laughs> Woohoo! Why? Because it's tasty. When you overhear some, something about somebody's marriage or somebody's kids or some business deal that's shady or don't, don't our ears perk up? We're like, oh, that's tasty. 
But what's the problem with eating too much ice cream? You get diabetes. And if you get diabetes, what eventually happens, usually with people that get diabetes, they start getting parts of their body amputated, right? And that's what happens when slander gets into the body. Parts of the body gets amputated, and that gets cut off, and they're no longer here, and they're over somewhere rotting because someone slandered their name. You gotta be really, really careful because it's Proverbs 18, tasty. Number two, we like to believe it. Every study has shown this. You and I as humans, broken condition, whatever it is, we are wired to believe negative things about people. We'll believe something negative about someone much quicker than we'll believe something positive. Have you noticed that? Like bad stuff is like, oh yeah, tell me. Good stuff, no way. So what they're saying is, hey, Nehemiah, don't let his charisma, his generosity, his leadership fool you. He's evil. He's a mutinous, evil person who's calculating how to get power, right? He's evil just like you and me. We want to believe it. The truth is, Nehemiah was a good, godly, generous person. Be very careful what you believe. We need to have in our own heads the acknowledgement. I'm, I'm prone to believe the bad, so I gotta be really, really careful about what I believe. Number three, problem with slander, it spreads. It just spreads. This open letter spreads to somebody else, spreads to somebody else. Pretty soon everybody knows about it, right? Slander spreads. While truth is still buttoning up her boots, slander's been in it around the world because it spreads. It's happened to me. So back in 2017, some history, we were making some really important decisions as elders about whether we were gonna build this building or not. Now I was a bit of a stick in the mud on it because I'm like, man, that's a mortgage payment. I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. I don't know, right? So I'm like tentative on it. So October, we actually made the decision in December and launched in December. October 27th, I'm like, mm, I don't know. And I had these guys, three different men come meet with me during that time. And we're at Fruitdale Elementary School. One of them I met on a Wednesday night after Wednesday night Bible study. We just met in the hallway and he had a lot to say, but he said this at the end. He said, Matt, you're a good Bible teacher, but you're a terrible leader. And you need to change a position at Edgewater. I was like, oh, well, hey, thank you. I'll pray about that, right? Next guy meets with me. Very similar wording, and at the end of it, he says, well, this is the deal. You're a good Bible teacher, but you're a terrible leader, and you need to resign at Edgewater. Oh, I'd heard that before, right? Third guy, hey, you're a good Bible teacher. You're a terrible leader. You need to change a position at Edgewater. I knew then, aha, you three have got together. You three are starting to talk. You three, it spreads, right? It spreads. We got to be very careful. It spreads. And what's interesting is this. Here's what happened to me. Um, I was kind of, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know about building. Those three guys maybe know this. I'm being attacked right now. That must mean we're about to do something good. So it was actually one of the reasons why I'm like, okay, I'm in. Let's, let's do this. Let's build this. Because God will always take what the enemy wants to use for evil. And if we let him, he'll turn it for good. So praise God for that, right? It spreads. We're supposed to be very, very careful about the spreading of slander. 
And then lastly, it sticks. That was six years ago. Guess what I remember? I remember those three meetings. I have had hundreds of people tell me the opposite. Like far and away, it's 100 to one. Great job, love what you're doing here, great division, right? 100 to one, but guess what sticks in my mind? The three negative conversations, slanderous because they got together. That's what sticks in my mind. And here's the saddest part to me. And I'm not bitter, I'm not angry at them, I'm just like, okay. Here's what really, really hurts my heart. When I hear their name, guess what first comes up in my head? Slanderous. Oh, yeah. And I've never told my wife their names. I've never told another person their names because I don't do that. But I'll tell you what, it sticks. It sticks. We gotta be really, really careful with slander, right? I remember six years ago what you said to me. I remember 2005 what you said to me. I remember 1990 what you said to me. That's how sticky slander is. Be careful. In the church, we take certain things really, really as important. So it doesn't take a month to go by where you hear about some kind of pastor being disciplined for sexual sin. I have never heard of church discipline for someone that's slandered. Maybe we should rethink that because of how damaging it can be. It's bad. And here's the truth. If somebody, we're, we're the air traffic controller of what we allow land in our brain. Do you know that? And if somebody has something to say about someone else, we should go like, hey, time out. Matthew 18 says, if you have an ought against a brother, go to that brother first. Hey, time out. Before you tell me this about him, have you gone and talked to him about that? No, I haven't. Okay, then don't tell me. Your obligation as a believer is to do Matthew 18 first because the Bible says this, you'll win a brother then. You slander him, you start talking about this, then guess what? You're gonna lose a brother. Amputation happens. We gotta do Matthew 18 a lot better. I gotta do Matthew 18 a lot better. And first off, I'm not gonna let that land in my head. Have you talked to him first? If you haven't yet, don't talk to me yet. And here's the thing, I don't chase slander. Somebody chooses to do it, nah, okay, no problem. I don't firefight, I don't wait for it, I don't try to go after it. Here's part of the reason why, I don't even get angry at it. When I hear about some kind of slander thing about me, here's what I know, here's why I don't get angry. I know this, I am much worse than that person's slander. That's what I know. Up here, I am much worse. If you could get in here, you would run from me, okay? But here's the truth. I have a king who knows everything that I think. And that king loves me and accepts me and says, I will never leave you nor forsake me. That's the solid rock I stand on. Slander me all you want, I can care less. Your opinion doesn't matter. The king's opinion of me is right. And the king has accepted me and he knows me better than you could ever possibly know me. That's the solid rock I stand on, okay? Brilliant. Slander's gonna come for you. You as a recipient has a, have a choice. Don't land that plane here, Matthew 18. And then you, if it happens, you have a same choice. Hey, they don't know the half of it. I'm so much worse, but I am so loved by my king. That's how you survive slander. Nehemiah, hey, he sees right through it. You're not gonna make me afraid. You're not gonna make me stop. And he sends up this beautiful little text prayer. Oh God, verse nine, 
Strengthen my hands. Here's what he knows. My win is to finish the wall. Not to go argue with them about whether I'm trying to do something, whether I'm trying to be king. My win is to simply build the wall. That's the proof of who I am. The proof of who you are. Time will tell. Time will expose slander. Time will expose it. Don't worry about it. Move on from it. Let your life, let the wall you build, let the good work that God has, the great work that you have, let that be the testimony of who you are. So slander is number two. Then number three is bad theology. Check this out. Verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he's hiding in his house. He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Prophets working for a prophet. Be careful. Be careful. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they, would, they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess, Nadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Bad theology. So Nehemiah goes to this guy's house. He's a quote-unquote prophet. And this quote-unquote prophet says, hey, danger. You and me, we need to go hide in the temple, go hide in the holy place. Now, was Nehemiah allowed to do that? No. Listen to Numbers 3, verse 10. I know it's your favorite verse, but I'll read it for you. <laughs> Appoint Aaron and his sons, a certain group of people called the priests. Appoint Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. Anyone else who approaches the sanctuary must be put to, what's this prophet telling Nehemiah to do? Break the law. Nehemiah, you're so important. These laws don't apply to you. You're above these laws. God will understand. God will know your circumstance. Come on, you and me, let's go hide in the temple. Let's break God's word. Let's sin. Our enemy knows something about us. That if he wants Christians to believe a lie, then have the lie told by a pastor or a prophet or another believer. And we'll believe it. So Shemaiah, his name literally means, Shema means to, or Shema means to hear, and that's Yah. It literally means hearing Yahweh. Listen, I hear Yahweh. I'm a prophet. Run and hide in the temple. Beware of prophets that are working for a prophet because bad theology is big business. 
You can make a lot of money and a big name with bad theology. If I wanted to make a big name for myself and wanted to go big, guess what I could do real quick? I could say, hey, man, I had this epiphany. I was studying the Bible, and I was reading, and I discovered that God is okay with transgenderism. And I've decided that I'm coming out as transgender. You know how big that would be? Conservative, small, Southern Oregon pastor comes out as transgender. Oh, man, I'd get all kinds of calls. Tina Kotak, everybody. Wow, you're so brave. Good for you. Applause, applause, applause. Right? Because bad theology is big business today. It's you can make a quick name for yourself just like that. And bad theology comes in many, many colors. And I know I'm going to get in trouble for this. I'm fine. I don't mind trouble. In fact, I look for it very often. So, no problem. So I had surgery, and for the past, it'll be four weeks on Tuesday. I've had time like I've never had time in my life because I can't drive. I'm pretty much stuck at home. I can't really do anything that I would normally be doing like around my house. So I just kind of stand there and sit around. Like Myron, my nine-year-old, and me, we're at home all the time. So I'll go looking for Myron. like, Myron, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> He's like, I'm making mud. Can I come? Like, I, I guess if you want to, dad. All right, let's go. So time like never before. That, that's the setup. So last Saturday, not yesterday, but eight days ago, I'm out. It's like 9 a.m., my wife, she's out uh, running, so she's got a big run to do. And so I'm by myself, and my run's inside, and I'm just walking outside when up my driveway pulls this blue Subaru. I'm like, who's in a blue Subaru? So I kind of walk over there, and out climbs this dude. I know instantly he's a Jehovah's Witness, right? I've had Jehovah's Witnesses before. Usually I try to hide from them. I'm like, ah, get away, run away, run away. Not now. I'm like, I got time, man. I'm like, hey, how are you guys? They're like, uh, good. I'm like, so good to see you. Really? Yeah, man. What are we doing? Uh, I like threw them off their game. They're like, oh, well, let's see. Um, okay, I don't, this is not the script. Uh, you see, we're... <laughs> so it's like, uh, do, do you read the Bible? I'm like, yeah, I do read the Bible. Oh, oh, you do? I said, all the time. Like, oh, um, well, what version of the Bible do you read? I said, I read the English Standard Version. They're like, English Standard Version. Oh, well, you know the King James Version. I don't read the King James Version. I read the English Standard Version because they have all these ways of manipulating the King James Version. No, I read the English Standard Version. Like, oh no, off strip again. What do we do here? <laughs> and if you don't know, the Jehovah's Witnesses have their own translation called the New World Translation. And the New World Translation does something to John chapter one. No other translation in history no other translation that's English, no of the, other, of the thousands of other languages that the Bible has translated, no other translation does this to the Bible, to John chapter one, verses one and two, where it says, and the word was God. The New World Translation said, and the word was a God. They added there, okay? So I am loaded for bear. I am eager. I probably got a big smile on my face. I'm like, let's do this. And so the guy's like, yeah, well, we have our translation. I said, I know, the world, trans world, the new world translation. Getting way ahead of myself in my head. And he just says, have a good day. And gets in. I'm like, no, I lost him. I was too eager. I got time, come back. <laughs> Listen, Jehovah's Witnesses, 
don't believe in the same Jesus you and I believe in. They believe Jesus is Michael the archangel in the Old Testament. That Jesus is not God in the flesh. God giving himself because of his great love for us. Jesus is a created being created to take the fall. Okay? That's bad theology. That's really bad theology. LDS, Latter-day Saints, Mormons, don't believe in the same Jesus as you and I. They believe Jesus is the half-brother of Satan. Half-brother, excuse me. That Jesus is the brother of Satan. And there's a little mix-up, like, hey, how do we save humanity? And Satan's like, let's crush them. And Jesus is like, no, let's save them. I'll die for them. And the father's like, hey, I take Jesus' route better. Satan got mad. Move the battle. And, and Jesus is becoming God-like, just like you and I can become God-like. It's really, really bad theology. And people get mad at me for saying this. They will. They get uncomfortable. That just makes me uncomfortable, right? Here's my answer. Listen. You stick up for the people that you love. I love Jesus, and I will stick up for him. He is not a created being. He is not Michael the archangel. He is not the brother of Satan. He is God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity who gave himself for us because God loves us that much. That's what he is. And anything outside of that is bad theology, okay? You stick up for those that you love. That's what you do, just that simple. And last time I talked about the LDS church, right back here, a young lady trapped me and she goes, listen, when you talk, I came out of Mormonism, but when you talk about Mormonism, it makes me feel unsafe. Here's my simple answer. Sweetie, I would rather have you feel unsafe for one hour at Edgewater than to one day stand before King Jesus and be unsafe for eternity. That's my answer, Okay. But Matt, they're so sincere and they're so dedicated and they're so kind and they have such good works. What, what about that? It's true. They're sincere and they're dedicated and they have good works and they're the nicest people in the world, totally. But are they right? Are they right? I had surgery. Listen, there is no one more sincere or dedicated or kinder or more compassionate, or more full of good works than my wife when it comes to my shoulder. No one, not even a close second. She wants me healed probably more than I want to be healed, right? She is dedicated to it. She's always been that way, right? So should I have said a month ago, you know what, sweetie? Forget paying a doctor. Let's take a YouTube course on Rotator cuff surgery, let's sharpen a knife and you get after it because you're sincere and you're dedicated. Just go for it. No. Huh? I'll take truthful, good surgery over kind, dedicated, sincere malpractice any day. Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are malpractice. That's what they are. It's a different gospel. It is not Jesus. And bad theology will hurt people eternally. It is our great privilege to defend Jesus Christ because we love him. No, Jesus is not what you're saying. He is God come in the flesh. The demonstration of how much God loves us. He didn't create someone to take the fall. 
God himself said, I will die for the sins of my people. That's God. And listen, the church, we're, we got bad theology sometimes in the church. People say, hey, God is love. What does that mean now? You can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. God's gonna love you anything that you do, right? Just this mushy craziness. Or the other side is, God is angry, which means he's gonna curb stomp you if you make one mistake. We got plenty of bad theologies in church. Tons of them. I have young men saying, it's all grace, man. You know what that means today? My job is a sin and I'm really good at it and it's God's job to forgive me. Oh, 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 hold on, time out. God forbid, Paul says in Romans chapter five, that you do that to grace. God's sovereign. Guess what that can mean? I just get to sit here and do nothing. God will take care of it. And I don't see that in scripture. I see partnership over and over and over. See, there is a reason for people to commit to one body of believers and say, I'm staying there because I need to learn how that group sees the Bible. When we start to bounce around a lot, what happens is this, we come like this hybridized buffet style of our theology. And we're not kind of sure because everyone has a little difference. It's good to just sit and say, for some time, I'm gonna sit and learn scripture. Stay put. So I get the theology of this place, a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving community saying, I'm gonna commit. And if it's here, and we welcome you. If it's not, find a church that teaches the Bible, that loves Jesus, that's on mission, and plug into them. But I'll tell you the best defense against all these things that the enemy's trying to do. It's verse 11. It's an underliner, it's a highlighter, it's a circler, it's a brilliant verse. Listen to what Nehemiah says. But I said, should a man, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I would go into the temple and live? I will not go in. How brilliant is that? Nehemiah knew who he was. He knew what kind of man he was. We would call that New Testament. He had a gospel-centered identity. Nehemiah knew who he was, so he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. I'm not gonna sin. I know who I am. Do you know who you are in Christ Jesus? I know I am a son of the king, adopted, held by King Jesus. And because I know I am an adopted son of King Jesus, I know what I will and will not do. I'm not gonna sin. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna engage in those activities that grieve his spirit. I'm not gonna do that. I'm a daughter of King Jesus. I have nothing to fear. I will not let men use my body that way. I'm valued more than that. When you know who you are, you know what to do. I know I'm called to teach the Bible. So guess what I know happens on Tuesday morning? I'm gonna study to show myself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. I know that. I know when I meet with people, you know what I'm gonna tell them? God's truth. I'm gonna keep saying, no, this is what God's word says. I know what to do because I know who I am. It's that simple. The best fight against all the lies of the enemy and all the distractions of the enemy is to know the gospel so well, to know who you are. 
Listen, here's what I know. May 3rd, 1993, when I made my own decision to go into the waters of baptism, here's what I know. I tangibly experienced the old me passing away and all things becoming new. That the old Matt Heverly died and was buried and is gone and is dead. And now when the enemy taps on my shoulder and tries to tempt me and get me to do things, you know what I say to the enemy? Bro, you got the wrong address. Go to the Pinecrest Cemetery. That's where that mat is. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I don't do these activities that grieve God's spirit. That's not who I am anymore because I know my identity. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus? Do you know that you're robed in his righteousness? Not your righteousness, his righteousness. You know that you are a saint. I am Saint Matt. You're a saint. Do you know that though your sins were like scarlet, now they've been made white as snow. Do you know you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you? Do you know that you are the very temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you know that your life is hid in Christ? That when God looks at you, guess what he sees? Perfection. Because your life is hid in the perfect one. Man, that's our identity. When you know who you are, you know what to do. This is what Nehemiah is saying. 